it was uh, about year 180 uh, when a Christian bishop about whom we actually know very little wrote to a pagan uh, about whom we know even less saying that God brought everything into being out of what does not exist so that this greatness might be known his greatness might be known as understood through his works. Now, these words may seem to contemporary eyes and ears thoroughly unexceptional as a piece of Christian teaching, all Christians agree with this today, but at the time they represented something new and controversial for at least the entire tradition of Greek philosophy, which provided a terminological background for the foundations of Christian theology. Why is so? Why is it so? Well, those uh, who spoke about the origin of the world back then, uh, and these are pagan creation stories that I refer here to, uh, they described the world's origin in terms of reordering and already existing stuff, or they referred uh, to this thing happening through some kind of process of birth or manipulation, or emanation, or conflict, or maybe just a chance rearrangement, again, of an already existing stuff. The Greeks, in particular, held firmly to the idea of an eternal cosmos, uh, permanent and immutable, both in its essential structure and in its makeup. So Greek, we have the notion of an actually everlasting cosmos and circular time, which means that there was a movement that can be or could be observed in the cosmos. It is continuous circular, circular process of birth and corruption, uh, but the cosmos taken as such as a whole is existing forever and in a way is uh, something immutable. And then we have the Greek metaphysical principle, uh, which said or says that nothing comes from nothing. So for those who believed in this, uh, one of the crucial metaphysical principles, the claim that universe came into existence from nothing, that was something unusual, strange, and controversial. But this article of faith was actually not uh, was new not only for Greek philosophers, it was actually new also for the Christians. Because the Christian theology in first generations before the year 180, this theology, yes, it emphasized that creation is not an outcome of a violent combat among gods, that it is not a manufacture by gods from the corpse of some primeval monster or a god, yes, it is not an outcome of the development of the primordial cosmic egg, as in some uh, pagan uh, traditions, but at the same time, trying to say what creation actually is or how creation can or should be understood, first Christians, they described creation in terms of Plato's description again, of gods ordering the pre-existing yet unformed matter. And they did that in reference to the, uh, the, they did that, as I said, in reference to Plato, but also some of them referred to the Neoplatonist idea of 
the emanation of everything from the divine. Uh, and that was the basic teaching. So there was no notion of creatio ex nihilo. And this refers to first Christians, but it also refers, as we believe nowadays, to the Jewish tradition. Uh, it was only in the Middle Ages when uh, this uh, truth of faith that everything was created ex nihilo, uh, when this truth of faith was uh, accepted uh, in Jewish uh, theology. To give you just one example, Justin the Martyr, uh, he comments on Plato's description of creation as uh, God's action of shaping the universe of pre-existing matter. And uh, he says that it uh, remains in agreement with what we find in Genesis. And he actually claims that Plato must have read Genesis because he's so like in line with what Genesis says about creation. So uh, when we speak about creatio ex nihilo, we, what we mean by that, uh, obviously, is that nothingness uh, is a lack of any real being. So nothingness as such cannot be an, uh, like any sort of subject of divine action. Uh, Aquinas would say that in creation, the recipient of divine action is not the nothingness, but that which is created. And yet we emphasize that universe came into existence from nothing. So if the church decided to teach uh, this particular uh, concept and this particular uh, further description of the uh, of uh, of the way in which the world came into existence, we should ask a question: How did the church came uh, come to the to the conclusion that again universe is created from nothing? And do we find this idea in the Bible? We ask first as Christians. Well, in the Bible we have the verb bara which, uh, yes, it is never referred directly to any substrate and its subject is always God, yet its etymology refers to action performed on the pre-existing mother. It means to cut, to tear, to make, to put together. And so the, at the same time, we have to remember that the Bible doesn't say explicitly that God did not create uh, from uh, a pre-existing pre mother. So we may say that we don't find at least a direct confirmation of the claim that universe came into existence from nothing in the book of Genesis. Having said this, we have to remember that yes, there are actually those who would like to find or name or uh, specify at least indirect arguments in favor of in the book of Genesis. They say yes, the Bible never says explicitly uh, that God created uh, everything ex nihilo, but it also does not say explicitly at uh, the beginning that uh, there was some particular mother out of which God created. Others say that the Jewish tradition does not know the idea of being of entity that would be independent from God out of which he then could create. And then the third argument says that the primordial abyss and darkness described in the book of Genesis, they actually refer 
to the reality which was previously created ex nihilo. So this is in a way taken for granted. Well, whether these arguments are convincing or not is a good question. Today, the majority of contemporary exegetes, they agree with the medieval Jewish uh, uh, scripture scholar and commentator, uh, whose name was Sholmo Itzhaki uh, or Rashi. And he claims that the first verse of Genesis is actually better rendered as a dependent clause of sentence that includes all first three verses of the book of Genesis. And according to this approach, the more accurate and the proper translation would be this. When God began to create heaven and earth, the world being then a formless waste with darkness over the deep and only an awesome wind sweeping over the face of the waters, God said, let there be light and there was light. So if you read the, those three verses of Gen, the first verses of Genesis in this way, it becomes clear that at least to this passage, God seems to be working on some already existing stuff. There is a watery deep and enveloping a formless world. This reality is not personified, uh, yet it is hard to avoid an impression that it is in some sense resistant maybe to God's will. So we may refer here to this term tohu vaboku, the abyss of water, which refers etymologically to the name of the goddess in the uh, Babylonian poem Enuma Elish. Uh, his, her name was Tiamat. Uh, and out of her body, uh, heaven and earth are formed according to this uh, mythological uh, story. So we therefore conclude that we do not at least find the confirmation of Kratzex and in the book of Genesis. Now, another point of reference, actually for years, if not for centuries, was the second book of Maccabees, where we have this uh, beautiful yet terrifying story of martyrdom of seven sons. And when the youngest of them is about to be killed, his mother is given a chance to convince him to uh, change his mind and uh, reject in a way the God of Israel to save his life. And she uh, leans towards him and she says these words. Uh, what is important in this passage for us is the underlying uh, part of it. God did not make them, which means heaven and earth, see and all is that is in them out of existing things, she says, in the same way humankind came into existence. So many interpreted this, those very words out that he, God did not make them out of existing things as a confirmation of creatio ex nihilo. Now, today we know that it is a very problematic interpretation. The Greek original says, ex onton auta uh, Interestingly, the Vulgate translates it ex nihilo fecit illa Deus, and then all other transla translations in modern languages followed the Vulgate uh, and uh, translated it saying that ex nihilo out of nothing God created all those or made, made all those things. But the new version of Vulgate uh, published in 1979 actually goes to the proper translation uh, or offers a proper translation which is more uh, correct 
et and says non ex his coerant God made those uh, things that we see around us. So how shall we understand uh, this term out not out of uh, existing things? Well, it doesn't mean that God made things ex nihilo. It means that God made something from something else which was not yet this thing that it became. So let's say um, I came into existence uh, from uh, egg and sperm coming from my parents, right? So I came into existence from something that was not yet me when, but it was already something. It was some sort of matter. So uh, exegetes, they claim this is how we should translate uh, and understand uh, this passage. Coming into being uh, of anything new without any implication of whether or not this uh, new thing is derived from any uh, pre-existing uh, substance. There are other arguments concerning this passage. Uh, some uh, would say it would be really strange to think that of the sudden, in this particular occasion, this mother uh, of, this, of those seven sons, she introduces rather new theological truth, right? Uh, is it the best moment to teach like one of the deepest and most controversial theological uh, truths uh, when her son is about to be killed? Others say, well, we may reinterpret it uh, in a different way and say, well, she is probably sharing with her son something that everybody believed in. And she's just reminding him about this. But then we may push back and say, well, how come that everybody believes and understands it when it is not actually mentioned in this way uh, before? It is also important to see that she concludes this, uh, this passage concludes with her uh, statement that in the same way humankind came into existence and humankind, even in the book of Genesis, does not come straight, uh, straight from nothing into existence. It comes from already existing matter. And also exegists, they emphasize this uh, preposition ek, underlined uh, preposition on the slide. They say once this preposition is being used, this opens the way to think, at least of, uh, at the level of linguistic analysis, about God actually producing something out of pre-existing matter. And the last argument, Gerhard May, one of the important uh, uh, scripture scholars, he claims that the idea of Kratzio ex nihilo does not appear in the Judaic tradition of the pre-Hellenic and also Hellenic periods. And this is a Hellenic period. That would be strange in this period to introduce this idea without further explanation, because as I uh, said in the beginning, Greeks believed that the universe existed forever. Do we find, therefore, a confirmation for Kratzio Maybe in New Testament, in, if not in the Old Testament. Well, not really. St. Paul, at one point, he says, about uh, God who gives life uh, to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Uh, and the uh, letter to Hebrews speaks about uh, uh, or shares um, or teaches as a matter of faith that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. But again, those texts cannot be treated as a proof for a biblical doctrine of Kratzex and Hilo. These texts speak about creation only in passing as part of an appeal to divine power and trustworthiness. And the first passage again may and should probably be understood uh, in the same way 
which is bringing into existence something from something else which is not yet a thing that it becomes. Uh, whereas the second passage can be interpreted uh, in various ways because uh, something that is invisible is not necessarily something that is not existing, right? We believe that there are things that are invisible and yet still uh, existent and real. So we then therefore conclude that we do not find a direct or um, uh, at least direct confirmation of class 6 in the scripture. Maybe some indirect ways, but not a direct confirmation. And therefore, how uh, did we come to this conclusion again that the world was created ex nihilo? Usually, and this is not going to be original, uh, usually, uh, or many important Christian dogmas, they uh, were formulated within the context of some heresy or some, uh, uh, you know, teaching that was considered to be unacceptable. And the situation here is again similar. Uh, what is the background of the origin of uh, the doctrine of Kratz ex nihilo? It is uh, Gnostic uh, Christianity. Uh, and specifically, we uh, think here about the idea or the concept of, we may say, hypostasized evil, an evil that is not just lack of good, as the later tradition will define it, but evil as something substantial as a substantial competitor of what is good. That led to the idea of uh, evil being an outcome of the action of an evil God. And that evil God sometimes was thought as equal with the good God uh, of the Bible, sometimes in the mitigated version of uh, dualism, because this is a dualist uh, understanding of uh, of divinity, uh, the mitigated version of this dualism would speak about some sort of lower God who is responsible for evil and good God who is responsible for good. Yet another version of dualism would speak about not God bringing evil into existence, but maybe uh, those transmitting causes uh, that is in this case, angels who are responsible for evil uh, because they did not succeed in uh, creating only good things or bringing only good things into existence as instrumental works, uh, uh, causes in the hands of God. So this is Gnostic thinking that obviously when saying those things, uh, those Gnostics, they question the goodness of mother itself. If it comes from uh, the uh, material world, it comes, if it comes from uh, an evil God, uh, or at least parts of this material world, then uh, matter cannot be good in itself. And that provokes a reaction, uh, well, surprisingly enough, first reaction from Gnostics themselves, because among Gnostics, we actually find a, a theologian who was the first one who argued in favor of Kratzik's Nihilo. And his name was Basilides. Uh, he died in the uh, year 140. And he is the first one who exists that the whole universe derives directly and exclusively from God. He says this, or insists that originally there was nothing, not matter, neither being nor non-being, neither simple nor composite, neither intelligible nor sensible, neither human nor angel nor God. 
Well, you may ask, oh, well, well, maybe he's going too far. No, he's not. He He's trying to say by this that there was no something out of which things were created. So not even the body of God, because the world is not God. The world is something different uh, from God. So there was nothing out of which stuff that surrounds us was created. He claims, uh, therefore, that God created ex nihilo, the primordial seed, he speaks uh, about this, he calls it a seedbed of the cosmos. Here is another quotation which uh, came to us uh, through uh, a, comment, uh, a commentary on it uh, uh, written by Hippolytus. In this way, says uh, Basilides, the, the God who is non-existent made the cosmos that is non-existent from those things that are non-existent, having founded and established one particular seed, having in itself the entire universal seedbed of the cosmos. Uh, so he remains agnostic. So even though he argues in favor of Kratzex and Hilo, we believe for the first time, he remains agnostic. Why is that? Well, he remains agnostic because he uh, emphasizes that the entire universe, yes, is created ex nihilo, but uh, note that God creates actually this first primordial seed, which for him is something in between an already actual matter that we can empirically uh, verify uh, and see and touch, and this, this nothingness. So this seed is in between. And then God does not lower himself to intervene in this already created you know, seed of the universe to actualize it. This seed actualizes by itself. And maybe this is the sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, a source of evil uh, present in the world because God is not engaged because as Gnostic, he does not like the idea that God actually has something to do with any sort of matter. It may even be the something in between real matter and uh, and nothingness. So some uh, claim that this uh, still Gnostic thinking may be considered as a primitive version of deism. And yet, uh, it is the first claim that uh, creation was actually ex nihilo. And then we have another Gnostic uh, who comes from Cartag uh, Cartagena, uh, Hermogenes. Uh, we do not know much about him. There is no writings that he left. We know about him through Tertullian. And uh, so he uh, reflects after what he learns from Basilides, he reflects again on creation and he says, well, we have three options. God creates universe out of his own being. God creates universe from nothingness and God creates the universe from something else. Hermogenes says, we have to dismiss the first option because that would suggest that God is divisible and he's not. Then he says, we have to actually reject the second option as well. Because if the universe is uh, created ex nihilo, it is entirely dependent on God's will for its existence. And this would mean that it necessarily is good, entirely good. And we encounter imperfection, evil in creation. So therefore, the second option is 
uh, not acceptable. Therefore, he goes back to the claim that God had to create universe from an already existing matter. I mention this Gnostic interpretation uh, and proposition because it is precisely to Hermogenes that Theophilus of Antioch uh, that I mentioned in the beginning responds. And he responds to him saying again, as I said, that God creates out of what does not exist. You may say, well, this is the same language that uh, we found in the Bible. So maybe uh, your entire argument is wrong and is in the Bible. Well, he may be using similar terms, but he has actually a deeply developed or much more developed theology where he actually backs it, this claim with, uh, you know, uh, a reflection that clearly uh, now speaks about Kratzix and Hilo. He says this, Plato and those of his school confess that God is uncreated father and maker of all things, but then they argue that God and mother are both uncreated. And they say that mother is co-eternal with God. This is how first Christians understood mother. But if God is uncreated and mother is uncreated, then God is, according to the, to the Platonists, not the maker of all things, nor, so far as they teach, is God monarchy maintained. Furthermore, in the same way that God, because uncreated, is also unchangeable, also if matter were uncreated, it too would be unchangeable and equal to God. For that which is created is variable and changeable, but that which is uncreated is unwearying and unchangeable. So that tells us that he now really has a strong argument that he offers us in favor of uh, the claim that mother uh, must be created. It cannot be uncreated. It cannot be everlasting uh, with God as a substrate out of which uh, he creates. More than this, what is crucial in this entire uh, development of this dogma is that Theophilus of Antioch, not, uh, he not only produces, we may say a metaphysical and philosophical argument that I just referred to, he also tries to name theological motivations and also theological fallacy of Hermogenes' position. And he does so saying this, Hermogenes wants to see theology of creation as an integral part of theodicy. Uh, because he thinks that the only way to avoid making God responsible for evil is to assume he created again from an, an already existing stuff. So he links those uh, creation to theodicy. And the Theophilus would say this is his mistake because theology of creation should not be regarded as theodicy. This is a part of Christian dogma in itself. And evil if it is in creation, in created universe, it is not a natural consequence of creation and which would make God responsible for it, but it, it is its deeply irrational perversion. If we would like to make a connection to some other part of Christian dogma, here says Theophilus, rather theology of creation opens the way to soteriology, to the truth about salvation. Why? Kreatia ex nihilo 
is a necessary implication for the Christian confidence in God's ability to save the fallen humanity and the entire universe. In, in other words, the same power that is required to create ex nihilo, an absolute omnipotence that is required for this to happen on the side of the cause of this, uh, of this uh, occurrence, of this phenomenon, the same power is needed to bring uh, this uh, created reality back to its original uh, state or uh, after, uh, after the fall, right? So that would be an, a, a theological argument uh, uh, brought uh, by uh, Theophilus uh, of Antioch. The uh, further tradition uh, built on this uh, what was offered by uh, Theophilus. Uh, and I will just mention the most important names here. Uh, we find Irenaeus of, uh, of Lyon, uh, who claims uh, this. Uh, he speaks about Kratio in order to defend God's omnipotence. And he says, all the scriptures, both prophetical and evangelical, clearly and unambiguously proclaim that the one and only God, to the exclusion of any other, has made all things through his word, things visible and invisible, heavenly and earthy. Uh, and then he continues and says, to attribute the matter of created beings to the power and will of the God of all things is something believable, acceptable, and consistent. Man cannot make something out of nothing, but only from matter which has prior existence. God surpasses man in that he himself provides the matter of his work for his work, matter which previously did not exist. And then we have uh, Tertullian who supports this teaching once again, and he now firmly teaches uh, that the object of our worship is the one God who out of nothing, simply for the glory of his majesty, fashioned this enormous universe which it's, uh, with its supply of elements, bodies, and spirits. So we can see how this tradition actually departs uh, from fighting Gnosticism and it develops to emphasize divine uh, omnipotence and here uh, also to emphasize uh, mm, also the purpose of God's creation, which is simply the glory of uh, his majesty. And uh, we cannot uh, skip Augustine, who has a beautiful and very poetic passage in his Confessions in, uh, in book number 12, uh, where he says this about God, for you didst create the heaven and the earth not out of yourself, for then they would be equal to your only son and thereby to you. And there is no sense in which it would be right that anything should be equal to you that was not of you. But what else besides you was there out of which you mightest create these things, O God, one trinity and two triune unity? And therefore it was out of nothing at all that you did create the heaven and earth, something great and something small. For you are almighty and good, and able to make all things good, even the great heaven and the small earth. 
you lost and there was nothing else from which you did create heaven and earth. Those two things, one near you, the other near to nothing. The one to which only you are superior and the other to which nothing else is inferior. Beautiful uh, passage confirming uh, the same truth. And then we have uh, Thomas Aquinas uh, on first Anselm of Canterbury. Uh, Anselm of Canterbury actually, he, uh, this is the scholastic uh, period already, and then he, as a good scholastic, provides a distinction. He again asks, what are the ways in which we may think about this very term ex nihilo? He says there are three possible interpretations of this term. First, not being made in any way to be simply uncreated, and that applies only to God, then we may think about the most fitting form of being, well, some sort of primordial matter. And then the third way of thinking about the term ex nihilo is uh, in reference to, or we may define it as the lack of any pre-existing matter in the case of the emergence of a new entity. And he says that in this sense, ex nihilo relates or refers uh, to uh, creation. So he tries to clarify uh, uh, even more this term in terms uh, in uh, within philosophy and uh, theology. Thomas Aquinas uh, is after the official formulation of this dogma and first uh, the official formulation of the dogma come this late. So imagine so once again, first time it was mentioned in year 180, and it comes to be officially formulated not earlier than in 1215, where the fourth Lateran Council, as you can see on the slide, says about God, who is the creator of all things, and it adds that by his almighty power from the beginning of time, he made at once out of nothing uh, both order of creatures, the spiritual and corporeal, and human beings who are uh, both. Uh, so therefore, uh, by the time Thomas Aquinas uh, mm, produces uh, his uh, theology, this is an already accepted and confirmed truth of faith. So he simply refers to it at several occasions. This is just one example where Aquinas says that nothing can be unless it is from God, who is the universal cause of all being. Hence, it is necessary to say that God brings things into being from nothing. And the truth is that Aquinas, uh, he doesn't spend much time on it, uh, on trying to uh, develop a support for this truth of faith and uh, you know, thinking about how it came to be. He simply, uh, takes it uh, for uh, granted in a way. What would be therefore the theological qualification of this uh, important theological truth? Well, uh, this truth uh, that was formulated once again uh, by Lateran Council, uh, the fourth Lateran Council was confirmed and repeated by the Council of Florence in 1441 and in the Constitution de Filius of the first Vatican Council. And uh, at the same time, uh, so we may say that it is a dogma of faith solemnly defined by the church. 
And yet, at the same time, uh, this is interesting that the First Vatican Council, although it's, it speaks about natural power of human reason to discover and get to know God as the creator, it did not in, and does not dogmatize this assertion that the world comes here. So First Vatican Council says that by the power of human reason, uh, we may come to the conclusion that the world was created and came has the first cause and uh, that made it to be what it is. But, and this is dogmatized uh, by this First Vatican Council, but this once again, qualification or assertion that the creation came, came into being ex nihilo is not dogmatized in this way, which means for this, we need revelation. But it's interesting that this revelation is not straightforwardly found in the Bible, as I showed, but it comes from a later reflection, theological reflection of the church. So it is, in my opinion, a very interesting uh, dogma or part of, uh, of dogma. The very claim that we can come to the conclusion that uh, the world is created and has its uh, first cause is in itself a very interesting uh, uh, part of Christian dogma, where the claim is that we can, again, come to knowledge of this only through the power of our human intellect, our reason, whereas all other major truths of faith, for them, we need revelation. Uh, and again, within this truth of faith, uh, this qualification that this first cause brings things into existence ex nihilo. This is not dogmatized here uh, by the First Vatican Council, but it requires a reference to uh, revelation uh, and its interpretation in uh, the theology of the church. Now, uh, I will conclude with a few, uh, I believe, interesting, uh, interesting remarks. Uh, let's go to the creeds. I think that most of us we don't uh, realize that there is a substantial difference in terms of creation theology between Western and Eastern creeds in the first church, where the Western creeds, uh, they uh, do not mention the father as the author of creation. Uh, some claim that the fact that those creeds, they speak about the father, that in itself implies a creative role because this is what father does. He, uh, uh, he brings into existence uh, his children. Uh, but others say, well, uh, they should have been probably more explicit. Uh, the Eastern creeds, almost without exception, state the belief in one God, the Father Almighty, whom they do depict as creator, creator of all things visible and invisible or some similar wording. In the West, we have the Apostolic Creed uh, from the third century, where we actually do find the claim that, uh, or this preposition that we believe in God, the Father, who is the creator of uh, heaven and earth. Uh, the historians of theology, they believe that it was the North African creeds uh, that were the first one in the West that actually did refer to creator of uh, all things, universorum creatorum. 
And the last thing is the terminology uh, when we speak about uh, creation in those creeds. Well, in Old Testament, I mentioned this Hebrew verb bara. Uh, so it is interesting that, I mean, I'm not an expert here. This is something that I found uh, in um, the sources I've read in preparation. Uh, so uh, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the claim is that the best term that is closest to, to bara would be demurgain, making something, which means obviously making something from pre-existing matter. And yet the Septuagint uses poiein, which is, uh, has in a way similar meaning, but some claim that there is a reason why they use poiein and not demurgain which is they would like to emphasize that what God does is somewhat different from what we understand as transforming an already existing stuff. And yet in uh, the Vulgate, uh, this term is translated as facere. And I think it is really unfortunate uh, that it got to the creeds. So we say today, for example, in English that we believe in God who is maker of heaven and earth and not creator, right? Uh, I come from Poland and we actually have creator uh, in Polish, but it's again not faithful, you may charge it of not being faithful to the, uh, the official Latin version of Creed. Now in the New Testament, uh, it's interesting again, instead of using poiein, which is used in Septuagint, uh, Septuagin, uh, the New Testament uh, uses rather another verb, ktizein. Again, you would find those who claim Maybe now New Testament wants to emphasize, well, at least uh, indirectly that uh, bringing uh, that creation is ex nihilo. And yet those, this ktizein again refers to uh, making from an already existing stuff. Also human beings can be ktizis. Uh, so, but still others push back and they say that this term refers not only to mechanical physical making of things but it actually refers even more to a spiritual act of the will and they claim well maybe this could be referred to god as creator ex nihilo because he's not working on any physical matter but uh, on uh, on nothingness or i this is actually wrong term i just said we should not use uh, uh, we should not speak this way he doesn't work on nothingness he simply brings uh, things into existence uh, from nothingness so there are those who work on those terms uh, carefully trace them and try to maybe form an argument of about again an indirect confirmation of uh, creation of the world ex nihilo in the bible yet on base uh, of on the base of what i read uh, I, I i i think i agree with those who claim that we do not find a confirmation of this truth uh, in the Bible. It is a fruit of a later uh, development of Christian theology, which obviously is grounded in the Bible. It's not that it's not related to what we find in the Bible, but yet it is a further development, which shows, again, the beauty of uh, our uh, Catholic faith, which is grounded in the Bible, and yet then develops and uh, believes, I mean, we believe uh, in the divine uh, assistance of the Holy Spirit and sanctifying uh, supernatural grace that 
helps us to better uh, understand and uh, phrase uh, the most important parts of uh, uh, the Christian dogma. So that's it for tonight. Thank you very much uh, for uh, your patience. And I believe that there is now time for some questions. Thank you very much, Father Mariusz, for that uh, very uh, insightful and, and, and uh, uh, I think clear presentation of the history of the idea of creatio ex nihilo. Um, we do have a couple of questions, um, and so we'll take a few time for that. And if I maybe yeah, start with one that I have myself. Um, so you mentioned that the, the doctrine was not officially defined until the 1200s. And like other doctrines, it kind of, you know, it's so for instance, I know, you know, Eucharistic theology, certain aspects of that wasn't proper, wasn't defined as such until the 10th century, but it was, it had roots in, in the fathers. But there was bigger controversy that happened in the 10th century, such that the church felt the need to clarify the Eucharistic theology then, because there were controversies and disputes over what exactly um, the Eucharist uh, is and the idea of transubstantiation. Do you, do, you have, do you have a sense of, was there a particular controversy going on in the 12th century that required this clarification of what had been in the traditions at the 200s, but, but was not defined until the 1200s? Yeah, thank you very much. It's true that, uh, and maybe I should have uh, emphasized it even more, that there is obviously a continuation and we uh, find roots of this teaching uh, in the Fathers of the Church. And in the 13th century, there is a controversy. It is a controversy uh, with the new Gnostic uh, ideas coming from uh, those caters and Valdensians, right? So uh, heretical groups uh, in here in Europe, uh, in France which gave the origin actually to our order. And that is the context. Uh, uh, so the similar, uh, you know, ideas uh, that uh, come again and again, the, the skepticism about the goodness of mother. And it's actually just one last thing. It's interesting that uh, this is, this longer quotations that I brought is like a package of creation theology, which again, for the first time actually brings many other aspects of this dogma into one thing. And it's interesting that it happens in this particular time uh, uh, in 13th century. Yeah. Very good, thank you very much. Um, so we have uh, another question uh, coming from Luca and he asks, um, he has a, a, a general question about, is there a difference between the idea of creatio ex nihilo and the idea of God's sort of maintenance of things in creation and is there are, are how are those related and is there a particular would you say that one has maybe is one more rooted in genesis chapter one than the other or are they both there or are they both later developments or mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well uh thank you for the question uh luca yes um in the classical formulation of creation dogma we have those two principal aspects of uh creating on the side, uh, obviously, this is the action of God, bringing stuff into existence ex nihilo, and then continue sustaining this stuff in existence, right? Now, uh, obviously, in God, this is one and the same action. Yet, from our perspective, it is valid uh, to speak about, in a way, two aspects of this one action of God, uh, because we live in the reality where we, in a way, uh, Mm, well, we observe the continual existence of things and we come to this uh, conclusion, as I uh, said, about the fact that they come into existence ex uh, nihilo. 
Now, uh, so there are two aspects. And again, uh, you may find those who would say we, we shouldn't uh, even speak about them because this is just one thing. You may find those who say, no, it is valid to speak about those two aspects because we as uh, limited creatures uh, with our uh, access uh, that we have to the reality, we can observe those aspects and it's uh, important for our understanding of knowledge to discern uh, those aspects. Now, to what extent they are present in the uh, Bible? Uh, basically speaking, what is being said about those first accounts of creation is that, and it's, it's agreed by uh, scripture scholars, is that those who have written this material, they did not have a developed metaphysics as later generations had. And they, they had a different mindset. And what they did want to express is that everything in the universe depends on God. That was, uh, this, that was their principle um, and one God only. That was the principal message that they had in terms of creation. And uh, that is why uh, they, uh, th they agreed, for example, that you know, the idea of God making things out of something that is out there in Plato is okay. Uh, first Christians, uh, when, they, when they discussed it, uh, uh, because in a way, for them also, that was the most crucial part. Uh, and then only in uh, the fire of those uh, theological errors, uh, it was only in this context that a deeper understanding uh, was developed. And so therefore, I, uh, I would think that going back to Genesis, I think that what it emphasizes is dependence of, of everything on God. So it, I, 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 I would actually think that maybe we should say that the continual existence of things and dependence of those things on God, this is the definition of creation in Genesis more than bringing stuff. Uh, uh, even though there is this description of bringing stuff, but again, what is crucial for them is the dependence and God guiding the creation. Because one last aspect, it, you may, uh, we have to remember that those texts are solidified in captivity, uh, in Babylonian captivity, where they go back and they reflect on the Israel being called by God to be one nation chosen by God, uh, and then being protected, guided, and taken uh, care of. And then they expand it on the entire creation. And they say, this is what means to be created, to be under this uh, care and protection uh, from this, on the side of God. So the coming into, we are so concentrated on coming into existence of stuff nowadays. I mean, the church also, got to this, and rightly so. But at the beginning, I think it was not so. Um, so we have uh, another question from, uh, I believe it's uh, Mapi Rodriguez, and she was asking, would the theology of creatio ex nihilo be a type of or related to kind of apathetic the uh, aspects of theology that try to explain God based off what God is not? Is, it, is there a relation there, or do you think these are different ideas? Mm, that's a very interesting question. It is a very interesting question because 
in many uh, you know sources and textbooks i read many textbooks on uh, creation theology and many authors they agree that um, we actually when we say ex nihilo we, we don't actually know what we speak about because it is actually virtually i mean difficult if not impossible for us to imagine uh, nothingness because when we think about nothingness we think about an empty space without things but space is space already so those terms ex nihilo also uh, as the uh, formulation from lateran fourth says from the beginning of time what is beginning beginning already is a term that refers to time uh, so those are the situations where linguistically we approach the limit of our language. We say that, uh, for example, everything was created instantaneously, but an instant of time is already, you know, a, a bit of time, and it was not like that. So some of the authors would maybe agree with you and say that it becomes, in a way, an apophatic uh, strain of theology because we and Aquinas actually says that too we only I mean we are better in saying what creation is not rather than saying what creation is and yet he wants to have this cataphatic side uh, to it as well and spends a lot of time on it uh, but uh, but maybe it's uh, I mean it's definitely indispensable to acknowledge that that uh, we approach here the limits of our language and we don't know what to do with this I think we have time for one more question. And so there's a question here from Tomasz, which actually I think kind of fits into the last two questions. And he says, um, so it's a question and kind of a clarification. So can creatio ex nihilo be, be understood in terms of the classical notion of change? And he then further kind of connecting what you're saying is, you know, if time starts with the creation of the universe, it seems that there is nothing prior to creation, including the potentiality of creation. Yeah. So how does this relate to yes. the Greek notions? Thank you, and uh, for this question and for all other questions as well. Uh, and I, uh, so Aquinas emphasizes that uh, very strongly that creation is not a change. And as you say, if there is no time, if there is no space, uh, it's not a, a change. Uh, so yet, uh, what is creation? So it is an act which is unlike any other acts, right? So in a way, uh, we have to refer here to, you know, apophatic uh, theology again, and say we um, basically know and do not know what this is, right? Um, I had one more idea, but uh, it escaped my mind. I wanted to say something more, uh, but I guess it went back into nothing. I guess so. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. On that horrible pun, uh, we say take one more to thank Father Mario Dubacek for his wonderful talk and for taking our questions. Um, and we'd also like to say thank you for to all of you online for joining us this evening. This is the second to last talk in our Angelical Angelicum Professors online series. And please join us for our finale on Monday, June 6th for Christian Virtue, the Mystery of Grace and Moral Excellence with Father Michael Sherwin. Uh, we hope to see you then. Thank you and God bless. Thank you very much. God bless.